All views expressed on this program are opinion. They do not represent Satori Mortgage, NMLS, 4190, or any affiliate. Please consult with a licensed loan officer before making any home financial decisions. Welcome to the Mortgage Talk Show. I'm your host, Steve Conklin from Tory Mortgage, sitting here with Jake Duroth. How's it going, Jake? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing good. Another show, another day. All right. Sounds good. What do we got in the Mortgage Buzz? Uh, today, I got uh, two different articles. Uh, first, uh, from Bankrate, mortgage rates are highest in a month with that average of on a 30-year fix at about 4.72%. Yeah, that's, um, you know... It, it's a good article, you know. It's just to give a, the, on average, that is, you know, a conventional loan rate is four point seven two percent. That is probably about 05 percent higher than it was six months ago, and almost a full point higher than it was two years ago. Um, the the good thing about higher interest rates usually means the economy is better. And it is. Yep. Uh, we've quoted before: home values are are going up. Um, I think they're leveling out a little bit, but they've 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 shot up quite a bit, and you know with that rates are going to go up. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, it's just another thing about planning because mm-hmm. you don't want to come in and find out that your credit score is lower than you anticipated, and you're going to have to take an even higher rate because you're no longer a good credit profile. Absolutely, and uh, you know planning on I, I always at Satori we always. Usually qualify people off a little bit higher of an interest rate than they're actually going to get, just to give that little cushion. Um, I actually was dealing with a client this week that was shocked that the rates weren't four percent. Um, yep, that's a little so, while ago. But yeah, yep, yep. no, and I, I, you know, and to his defense, he just says I, I, I didn't really bother looking at it. I just, I thought there, I thought rates were still low. And in historical perspective, you know, four point seven two is is still a really really good rate. Mm-hmm. It's just you know coming from three point seven five three years ago, um, it's in some people's eyes it's a little bit higher. Yeah, we have to come with a little bit different mentality. But like as you said, historically still super low. It's not uh, in the teens and stuff like it was uh, twenty so years ago. Absolutely, and planning and and just getting free advice. I mean, that's there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Uh, another article I have here from CNBC, 70% of millennials regret buying a home. And uh, it listed three reasons for this. And this, again, goes into smart planning when you're looking for your uh, home financing. One is overspending on down payment. Okay. That's, Two uh, is underestimating sorry. ongoing costs. <laughs> and three is settling for something that isn't quite right. Uh, I think one and two here, the overspending on down payment and uh, underestimating the ongoing costs really relate into knowing what your options are. Absolutely. Um, you know, overspending on down payment, that kind of sounds to me like they, they took their cash that mm-hmm. they had saved up um, or, or gifts and, and they put, you know, they put more than the minimum down. Um, and a lot of, a lot of places you can, you can put 3% down mm-hmm. um, and, and still have a pretty good rate. Um, Fannie and Freddie Mac have have wonderful programs for that, and uh, we always advise people, you know, don't don't put every penny into your house. Yep, that, and that's the thing because there are going to be some maintenance costs when you're going from a renting environment where you can call up your landlord and say, "Hey, this is broken. I need it fixed." Versus when you own, you know, you're responsible for that. So it's good to have some cash on hand. Don't deplete your entire savings if possible to buy that home. 
Yeah, I see it. I see it quite a bit for people that go from apartments, condos to single family homes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lawnmower breaks down, AC goes out, roof. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of a lot of costs that are hidden in home ownership that I don't think uh, people people realize like how you know how much how much it really is to cost every year to up maintain a house. Yeah, and it comes to like too is you know people are like coming with oh I have to bring ten percent down that's what I really want that's my goal. What really do you set yourself up differently in terms of interest rate and just your total scenario financial wise? If you, rather than that ten, you did five. Yeah, absolutely. And go through your options, find out a rate, find out a comfortable payment. Maybe you need to spend a little bit less to to be in that rate. And you know, number one thing I always preach is the rainy day fund. Mm-hmm. Um, never empty your rainy day fund. Unless it's an all-out necessity, but you know, especially when you're going buying a home or really anything, um, once you start getting stable, you should at least have a month to three months put away, mm-hmm. just you know, the in case stuff happens. Fun. <laughs> yeah, and, and it goes back to just kind of uh, old mentality as well as the you need to have twenty percent down. No, that's not the case. There's lots of options available to you. You just you just want to talk to a licensed loan officer and see what your options are. And the third reason, I see this quite a bit over my years is settling mm-hmm. um i was part of a generation where we were told to graduate college move to the suburbs buy a house and watch our our nest egg grow and you know in in 20 years you're not gonna have a mortgage payment mm-hmm. well the problem with that is that the economy crashed home values depreciated by 30 percent and a lot of people I knew were very bummed out that they lived 45 minutes away from work and, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, their plan kind of blew up. And I think I think with the newer generation, you know, millennials, I, I think it's a little – I think people are starting to get a little bit smarter. Um, they're starting to realize, you know, like live, live where you want to live. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's very permanent rather than, you know, trying to make an investment or, or being forced somewhere. Yep. I, I think uh, I, I see a lot of – a lot of times I'll have I'll have people that will move somewhere, you know, f- for a year or two and then and then they'll decide that, you know, they want to move back. Yep. And I think the other totally part of normal. this the other part of this too is it, it comes down to good planning as well. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have that perfect home, oh, I need to get in that right now and you never talk to somebody to find out that there are some, you know, little hiccups in your credit that makes it so you can't get that home. If you would have looked at it 6 months earlier, you maybe could have got those credit issues fixed up and you were in a better position to get what you wanted. Absolutely. And also, too, you know, mentality. Some people, you know, stay in the same house for their whole life and other people will move every year, you know. Yep. So it's it's like we always say, everybody's a snowflake. Plan, you know, get a plan, get a game plan first, and then, you know, everything else will follow. Uh, and then uh, for our segment here, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, more for mortgages for the luxury home market, and that would be the Jumbo Loan Program. And uh, first of all, what is it? A jumbo loan is a loan that is bigger than a conventional loan limit. So a conventional loan is generally backed by Fannie Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and those limits are per county. Um, Certain counties in America, houses are a lot more. um, Big examples like California versus Iowa. Um, Mm -hmm. Therefore, you know the the standard loan limit is four fifty three. One hundred, so four hundred fifty-three thousand one hundred dollars. So anything above that um, is a non-conventional loan, generally referred to as a jumbo loan, mm-hmm. and they can range from 
you know, four four fifty four to three million, five million. Yeah, and the larger you go, sometimes you're going into slightly different programs and stuff like that as well. Absolutely, they um, you know, and rates as well. Um, they they work a, like a like a general mortgage. You know, the the more you put down, the less risk there is. You generally the better rate. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're very credit sensitive. Um, you know, people, you know, under I'd say probably six sixty will have a hard time getting a jumbo loan. Um, there's other products that you know. Satori has that we can offer that that might work, but generally it's it's higher credit. Um, you know, I have seen them. There is ninety five percent loan to values, meaning that you know you only have to put five percent down. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have seen some of those, um, but they they're they're rare. Generally, it's twenty percent down, and and people are purchasing you know a million dollar house. Yeah, it, again, it goes for the lenders and their risk because. A $10 million home is much riskier if somebody walks away. There's a lot more money involved than when somebody walks away from a $150,000 home. Absolutely. Um, and, and just appreciation. One of the things that is very unique that you know you, you should look at, there's a couple different options. You know, We could do – there's some stack options that we have too that can take place with jumbo loans. There's, there's a couple different loans that you don't have to do. One of the main things about jumbo loans that – people need to understand is like if you're looking at them you're going to need a lot of reserves so if you don't have 12 month plus reserves then you're probably going to need to find another product that works um and they're very reserve heavy and very you know very income heavy their the ratios are a little bit a little bit tighter than the normal loan so they're a little bit harder to qualify again there's there's other options out there but you know it, it jumble on it's a great program you know, if it fits you, you know, to, to lock in an interest rate for 30 years, you know, you can do an arm, but generally the interest rates are really competitive um, and, you know, they offer they offer that safety. Yep. And if, you, again, if you're looking in the luxury home market, it's best to talk to a loan officer early to really look through what your options are. Absolutely. No matter, you know, no matter what type of house you want to buy, I, no matter what the price tag is, you know, it's, it's best just to sit down with somebody at Satori Mortgage, you know. And go through and, and start planning and, and figuring out, okay, this is, if I do it this way, if I do it that way, you know, what's the best pl- plan of attack? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was segment one in the books, Jake. All right. Sounds good. We'll talk to you in a little bit, guys. All right. Mortgage Talk Show. I'm your host, Steve Conklin, sitting here with Jake Dura. Welcome back, Jake. Glad to be back. Now it's time for my personal favorite segment. Everybody's favorite. Questions. <laughs> All right. I uh, got a few questions here today. Uh, first one, I'm getting divorced. What are my options for my home? Uh, okay. This is <laughs> – I see this quite a bit. Um, I, I see divorces from about as messy as could be to as clean as can be. Um, generally, their home ownership rights are, are, are split between, obviously, husband and wife. Um, generally, they are in the divorce decree about who gets what. Um, if, you know, if somebody gets a certain percentage of home equity or generally there's a buyout 
um, that, that somebody's owed a, a set amount of money. Um, and you know, they, there's quite a, quite a few different options. I'd say one option is always to sell the home, split the money, buy a new one. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's fairly common. The other option is if one person can, can do it, whoever's staying in the home and wants to stay in the loan is, you know, doing a, a cash out refinance. But in a divorce case, it's actually not technically considered a cash out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you actually get a better interest rate than doing a cash out because it, it's – they'll give you rate term interest rates, but they'll allow you to take the equity out to pay pay off the other person. And doesn't that go up to a higher LTV as well? Um, generally, no. Okay. Um, generally, it's at 80%. They're, they're starting to be some a little bit more forgiving. But yeah, generally, you know, most of the times those situations are where people have quite a bit of equity in the house and, mm-hmm. and somebody's going to take just a one lump sum payment um, and, and then the other person is going to keep the house. Generally when it's, you know, there's not much equity in the house, the best thing I always advise is probably just to sell it, okay. wash your hands, and then, you know, move on. Okay. it's a good question. Uh, another question we have here from Emily with Keller Williams. How do I know if my client is really pre-approved? Thanks, question Emily. I, you know, I get this quite a bit from uh, my real estate partners, um, you know, realtors that we work with. Is you know they they see, obviously you know Satori Mortgage for instance. We're not a national brand. Um, a lot of people probably don't even know who we are, um, but they see different you know letters from everybody. Um, and, and so, with my experience, a lot of times they'll they'll ask me, "Hey, you know, what do I need to ask to? What should I ask the loan officer to find out they're pre-approved?" I always say, you know, make sure they've obviously verified the basics, the credit. You know, um, they can't tell you the exact credit score, but they can tell you the credit, mm-hmm. income, uh, and then money down. And another one is I always make myself, no matter who it is, I always make myself available. I think I think it's very if the if the loan officer won't pick up the phone and have a conversation with a listing agent, I generally would say I, I don't feel good about that. Yeah, that that uh, offer is maybe a little more suspect because if run into some hiccups, are they going to be there to a- make sure this goes through? A- and you're mi- and then all of a sudden you're missing da- missing your dates. You know, absolutely. And I, I see turned ons from you know. Every every bank, every anything possible out there. I mean, I, I've seen it, and I, I think the number one thing is is it, just having somebody that you can call that picks up the phone or email and responds to you and walks you through and says, you know, here's my. Here, and it's not even personal cell phone, but just just a courtesy call. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all, all of our loan officers at Satori, we you know that that's my number one thing is you have to be available for people because you know it really is a partnership. It's teamwork effort. You know, there's no one side and, you know, if somebody is not doing their job, it, it's it's hard. No, and the thing too, at that stage, it, it, there's more excitement on a deal is, oh, we got some offers, you know, it looks like things are moving forward. If someone's not going to answer at that point, what's going to say they're going to answer when things get tough? Mm-hmm. So the answer I have is, number one is communication with the loan officer and the realtor. Number two is, you know, just asking questions to make sure that they verify the stuff and and. After that, you know, go with your gut. Great answer. Uh, another question we have here from Fred in St. Paul. Do I have to sell my house before I buy a new one? Yes and no. Um, generally, if you're on an FHA loan, 
and you need the the rental if if you're not if you're on an FHA loan and you want to use buy another house with an FHA loan, um, generally you're going to have to sell. You can't have two on a credit report unless you're moving across country. Mm-hmm. Um, conventional, you can have two houses. Um, ab- if you qualify for a, a primary house and a second home, absolutely. Um, we see a lot of people right now are, are holding on to their homes because they have so much equity and going and buying a new one. Um, and that basically – you know, as long as it's a conventional deal, you can have an FHA mortgage on your on your current property. You can rent that out and then go and take out a conventional loan on your new primary property, and you, you can put down as little as three percent. Um, we've actually we've done quite quite a few of them, and it's it's a good way to you know to to have have an investment and then to. To, you know, to not settle, to go find a house that you you really enjoy, because you know, in five years, life changes. Yep. We like to say that's a good way of, you know, getting your dream home mm-hmm. as well as becoming, you know, moving into the investment world a little bit mm-hmm. without, you know, buying a, a bunch of homes and stuff like that and kind of see how it goes. You know, how, how does it work renting out your, you know, your old home? Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, they absolutely love that. And then they're on the track to becoming an investor. Yeah. And, you know, for that, all we need is a 12 month lease and a one month deposit. And then they, you know, they'll use that to help Connor. You know, counterbalance the the loan payment for for your old house, so you can you know buy a new house, um, and and it happens quite a bit. All right, great question, Fred. All right, I got another question here from Carol in Destin, Florida. I have a part time job. Can I, can that income be included for my debt to income ratio? Uh so debt to income ratio is basically the ratio that the the loan officer underwriter uses to determine if you can qualify for a house. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to a second job, um, the guidelines are are a little bit different from conventional to, to government-backed mortgages. Um, but the general rule of thumb is you need two years. If you have two years of history of the part-time job, as long as it's the same line of work, then generally you, you, know, you can use that income. If you've only worked at your part-time job for six months, no. So the idea of oh I'll get a sec- I'll get a second job here so I can have some more income that's not gonna not yeah gonna work no not you can't get a job before before you go buy a house and then buy a house and then quit your job you know what what they really look for when they look for income and you know when they're underwriting the file they look for income they look for stability of income and their general rule of thumb is twenty four months it can be a little bit shorter but I always tell people you know you need a two year job history um, and if like. Let's say a lot of times common for a part-time job to be, you know, a bartender and you worked at a couple different bars, that works mm-hmm. as long as you have that two-year history, you know, but if you're a bartender for, for three months, you know, then you can't use that, that income. Yep. They're looking at it as, is this have a high likelihood to be continued? And if you've only been there for a little while, it, it's harder to know. Absolutely. Income stability. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, another question here from Orlando in Minneapolis. My appraisal came in low. What can I do? Okay, Orlando, you've actually had the conversation last week on this one. Um, so Orlando's appraisal came in $9,000 um, under what the purchase price was for. Uh, and so there's there's a couple different options. Um, the, the first option is to bring in the $9,000 more because for every dollar that your appraisal is low, you have to bring in that dollar. So in his case, you'd have to bring in $9,000 more just to get the same deal he was. Mm -hmm. Um, 
a common common a real common method is to kind of I call it the 50/50 method where the the seller and the buyer kind of split. So if there's closing costs that were in there, maybe you lower the purchase price, you know, down to the appraised value and you get rid of the the closing cost. Um in this one they 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 lowered the uh, purchase price down to the appraised value, and they took away four thousand dollars of of closing cost. Mm-hmm. Granted, you know it cost them a little bit more money, but it wasn't the nine thousand um, dollars. There's you know there's a couple creative ways. If the appraisal is really bad, um, we can you know there's methods at Satori Mortgage where we'll do appraisal rebuttal, um, and that's where we can challenge the actual value of the house. Mm-hmm. You know, chances of winning those are, you know, generally about thirty percent. But I've seen it. Um, so there, there's a there's a few different different you know avenues that you can take. Um, and you know, like we always say, everybody's a snowflake, right? Not one situation's the same. So you 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 know you you really the best thing to do is you know is to just sit down and look at all your options and and figure out you know. What what the best option? Can you afford to bring the extra money in, or do you need to cut the seller page? Maybe we need another appraisal. Um, you know, all all types of options. <laughs> yep, yeah, exactly. It's just one of those things. There's no exact one answer. You just you got to talk to your loan officer and we'll come up with a plan. Yep. Well, I hear the background music, Jake. That was a good show today. So that'll do it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, thank you for listening to Mortgage Talk Show presented by Satori Mortgage. You can check us out at satorymortgage.com. Thank you. All views expressed on this program are opinion. They do not represent Satori Mortgage, NMLS, 4190, or any affiliate. Please consult with a licensed loan officer before making any home financial decisions.